coming west of the Rockies from the great state of Utah. This is Conversations at Midnight. Before the show begins, I just want to say if anybody has any stories, if you have stories that you want me to read on the air, please send them to me. Send them to me at storiesatmidnight at yahoo.com. I'll try to read as many as I can per episode and then continue on with the show. That is stories at midnight at yahoo.com. Today's episode, today's installment of Conversations at Midnight is a weird one for me. And I don't I have no idea why I'm doing it. I don't know. I just feel the need that that I should. As you can tell from the title of the episode, My Ghosts of Yesterday. I want to talk about spirits, ghosts, things like that, but also get really personal. I'm still fairly young, I'd say. I'm not not middle-aged or anything or but for my young life, I've I've done a lot. I've experienced a lot, and I'm not sure why life dealt me those cards. And I never used to say this in the past, ever. I found it hard to believe, because I just thought life's life. But one of my biggest things that I've learned in life is, if you want to be humbled, travel. Just travel. And I think that's why I like traveling so much. It's rejuvenating, at least for somebody like me. It's like it cleanses me, puts me back on the right track. To me, there's nothing like a good road trip, especially with the right people. I used to live in Japan. I lived in a place called Kichijoji. I've been to Yokohama. I lived in Yamate. I've been to a few places, but when I was about 18, I, 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 had, I had a lot of things planned for me at that time of my life. And so I told my parents, you know, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And I started going through with it. I did, I did it pretty well. I stayed on track pretty well. But, you know, life, life happens and you fail at certain things or you you make a wrong move and things that you prepped for comes crashing down on you. So I ended up coming back home. And home at that time for me was Florida. So my parents, after I left, they decided to stop paying for a house and they moved into an RV. It was just cheaper for the both of them. And my parents are pretty minimalistic in that sense. They don't really like having a lot of items like that or a big house. Honestly, my father, if he could just take a shower, eat, and sit down, that's all he needs in life. So I moved into my parents' place, which was an RV. And it only had one mattress in there. Meanwhile, I had to sleep on a, on a fold-out couch. 
and I lived in a place, it's destroyed now, it's, it's, they tore it down, but I used to live on Seminole Reservation in Hollywood, Florida. I lived in a place called RV Hideaway. You can look it up, it'll tell you on Google that it's permanently closed, but I used to stay there. I used to stay. I I never told any of my friends or anything. I was just, I guess I was scared that they wouldn't understand. I'm not sure. I don't really know. But I'm saying this because I met a lot of people in that place. A lot of bad and a few good. But let me tell you, the ones that I met that were good, man, were they good. They were great people. And I can't seem to forget about them. No matter how hard life comes at me. Because life is really good at making you forget certain things, you know. You you tell your friend, hey, I'm going to call you in two days and I'll let you know if this is going to happen. And then two days comes by and that's it. You forget. You get a text from him going, hey, you know, you're supposed to call me the other day. Why didn't you? Oh my gosh, I forgot, you know, or. So no matter how hard life tries to make me forget, I just can't. I can't. And I guess with this episode, I'm going to talk about some of the people that really stood out to me. I guess this is more of my homage to them. So maybe I'm taking a break from the creepy stuff for this episode. No. I'm sure I'll find a way to squeeze that in there, you know? (laughs) But I'm going to tell you about somebody first. First on the list. His name was Terry. I would say his full name, but I don't know. He's passed away. So maybe it's not a totally bad thing, and I might just say it later on in the story. But for now, let's just say Terry. His name was Terry. He was an interesting man. He owned a red Jeep. It was a it was a Cherokee. It was like 96 or something. Red. It was a like a 98, 97, 96 Jeep Cherokee. And at that time when I met him, he had this little dog named Kitty. That's that's what he called it. And she was cute. I, I really did enjoy her. Quiet. Quiet little doggy. Terry had this flag. It was um, the POW flag, the Prisoners of War flag. And my first conversation with him was talking about that flag. He was outside and I was outside. I had to be 17 at the time. Oh man, this is so many years ago. But I looked over at him and I said, oh, oh, were you a prisoner of war? And he goes, no, no. But I had many friends that were. And I asked him, I said, if, if you don't mind me asking, what war did you serve? He said, Vietnam. And ever since then, we just 
talked. He eventually met my mother. My mother and him spoke. And we had a friend. He was probably our first friend that we had in that place. In that RV park. He was a very political man. Stubborn. Stubborn as as a mule. But very political. Very conservative. He was from Flint, Michigan. One day I... This is probably a year or two after I met him. I came home from... Somewhere. And I saw him sitting outside. This is probably 10 o'clock at night. And he was sitting out on a chair. Outside of his RV. So I walked over to him. And I said, Terry, how how you doing? And he goes, ah. Not good, my friend. I said, why not? And he points over to a, a potted plant. I think it was aloe vera or something. And he goes, my dog's ashes are in there. And I stared at him. And I said, which dog? I, I knew he only had one, but my brain refused to believe that it was Kitty. But unfortunately, he confirmed that it was Kitty. She passed on. And he just sat there under the stars. He just stared up at them. And that little corner that we lived in, that where that RV park was tucked away at, there was no such thing as peace. And that night was no different. Off in the distance you can hear jerks, stupid people trying to race down the road, breaking all sorts of laws. Your occasional police siren. And I asked him, I said, would you mind if I, if I sat with you, Terry? He said, please, go right ahead. And I sat down, and if you knew Terry... He could talk your ear off. But that night, we just shared silence. And I still remember that night very clearly. He was shirtless, and he had black shorts on. And he was wearing these sandals, these uh, slides, as people call them. And he was an old man, you know, so he had that kind of that underbite that most older people have. Or you're missing a few teeth and your underbite kind of takes over. So it looked like he had like this frown. Never had his hair long. Always buzzed. Always had a buzz cut going. From time to time he would grow at his beard a little bit. But that's about it. So he looked a little scruffy that night. You could tell he was sad. That he didn't want to take care of himself, you know. He was grieving. He lost a friend. And I still remember looking at him. And he just kept staring at the stars. And I, 
I wanted to tell him something. I wanted to fill that silence because I thought that will make him feel better. Getting his mind off of things. Talking about this or that or... But I couldn't. And I can't explain it. I still can't explain it to this day. But something in the back of my head was telling me silence isn't a bad thing. In fact, sometimes silence can be the loudest thing you could ever do. And I think that night, all that Terry needed was someone to share the silence with him. Before I recorded this, I stood outside. It's a cold, cold night in Utah right now, at the time of this recording. Chilly. Almost unbearable to some people. It was cold. And the wind blew at a certain howl. There was just this light howl cutting right through the trees. And I thought about Terry. As I have many other nights before this, but on many nights just like this one. And I thought about other people. And I'll, I'll get to them, but right now it's about Terry. A few years after that moment when I shared that night with him, he left the RV park. He headed north, up to northern Florida. He ended up in a place called High Springs. I didn't see him much after that. In fact, I don't think I really ever saw him again. My parents did. They, they met up with him. It was my first year living in Utah. I got a phone call from my mom. And she asked me if I was sitting down. And I was in the car. And I said, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm fine, what's up? She goes, uh, Terry passed away. And I, I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I didn't beg. I didn't go through those stages of grief. It was, it was one of those moments, you know, when you get that piece of information, I don't know if this is going to make sense. Maybe I'm just weird, but have you ever gotten certain pieces of information that you just skip all the emotions and you go straight to silence? It's almost overwhelming, you know? So I didn't go, what? No way. I just, as soon as she told me, Terry died. I just said, okay. And I said, when? She goes, oh. A few days ago. But they discovered him today. His face was blue. They, uh... They said he had a pretty bad heart attack. And he passed away. Terry Jaletsky had nobody. And he died alone. And I miss him a lot. And I, 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 I can't tell you how many times I wish I could relive that night with him again. I don't, I don't need the glamour. I don't need some over-the-top activity for me to wish the past. I just need things that remind me that I'm human. And a night like that 
is exactly what I need again. So since I can't share a night like that with Terry, I'd like to share it with you. And I'd love to do so by sharing a story that he told me. Terry told me that he that he bounced around the country a lot, that he's been to most states within the continental U.S. And he said sometime in his late teens, I think he was about 19, almost 20, he ended up in California. I think this is right before he joined the military. He said back then California was really different. You could almost drive down to the sandy beach in your car. And he said he decided on this day he was going to go to the beach. So he starts surfing and, and just had a nice time. And he said at one point he just wanted to lay on his board. So he paddled out to where the waters were somewhere calmer. He said he swam out to a bunch of coral rock. And he said and he laid on his back on his surfboard looking up at the sky. He tells me that somehow he felt this tingling on his arms. So he looked over and he said there was an octopus. It climbed up on his arm, climbed over and sat on his chest. It just sat there. And he looked at me. And he goes, now isn't that the coolest thing that you ever heard? <laughs> Terry, that was pretty neat. That was a really neat story, Terry. I uh, I never got a chance to, to say bye to Terry. So I was just going to take my chance and... Hey, Terry, I uh, I love you. I love you, Terry. And thank you so much for, for all those great nights. And I'm so sorry that you passed away in the way that you did. You didn't deserve that. I miss you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. In that same RV park, probably about two, three rows down from Terry and I, there was a sweet older couple, Mike and Connie. I love Mike and I love Connie. And I'm sure that they don't mind me sharing this story. I'm sure Mike doesn't. Mike, uh, and Mike will tell you that he's a hippie. Mike's a hippie. He was, he, he went to Woodstock, 1969, the Woodstock year. He said he ran away from home because his father was a controlling tyrant. <laughs> so he ran away from home, ended up in Woodstock, and he said he went there for three things. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. He said, I found two of the three. He had a wife, Connie. And she was a doll. 
They were both from Louisiana. So they had a little twang to them. Mike, not so much. But Connie, absolutely. She was a southern woman through and through. And they loved their they loved their crawfish. They loved their gumbo. And they loved the simple things of life, it seemed. And you can guarantee around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, between 3 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you can see them sitting underneath this little canopy that they had, playing backgammon. And it got to the point where my mom would go over and join them. She would sit down and watch them play, you know, talk about life and whatnot. My mother's mother is from Louisiana. So they, they had a little connection there. My mom really enjoyed Miss Connie. She said that she reminded her of her mother. Miss Connie and my grandma have the same accent. So it felt like home for my mom. So evidently I went and saw Mike and I spoke to him. Very stern, straightforward man. But he's a hell of a man nonetheless. And we shared a lot of conversation. A lot of conversation. And one day I stood up. I was getting ready to leave. And I told them both. I said, hey, well, don't don't let me bother you. I'm going to go back inside now. And Mike stops me. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm not a fan of people your age. I don't really like them. Not a fan of millennials. But I can say this with 100% honesty. You are the only millennial that I like. And he stuck his hand out and gave me a handshake. And he says, I do not say that lightly, son. And it's funny, I know some people in this day and age, okay, boomer, you know, or they'll make these tasteless jokes. But that was nice. It felt nice. Mike is a man of honesty. And it's so good to hear the truth told by somebody who only speaks it. Miss Connie would join in and go, yes, no, I totally agree. I really do enjoy this boy. And it just felt good. It, it felt nice, you know. Last time I ever hung out with the both of them, they were playing backgammon. Like they always did. And I saw them outside and I thought, you know what, I'll go join them. So I walked over. Mike, Mike always wears a hat. And I walked over and he looked at me from the corner of his eye. And he said, how are you doing, young man? I said, I'm doing good, Mr. Mike. You mind if I sit down and join you? He goes, of course. I said, are you sure? Because I would hate to be a bother. He goes, not at all. So I sat down. I watched them play. We talked about life. And I made a comment. I said, you know, you know what I'm in the mood for? I'm in the mood for some crawfish. So Mike and Connie looked at each other and Mike said, you know, that sounds really good. And Miss Connie kind of, I wouldn't say excited, but she had a pep in her step. And she was saying, you know what? 
when it's getting close to crawfish season, we're going to do a big old stew pot and add some crawfish. And I told him, of course, I'd love to partake in that with you. A week or two later, I packed up and left to Utah. I wasn't planning on staying here. But life happened. Life can get really crazy. So life happened and I ended up living here. I never went back. It was better if I stayed than went back because of money and things like that. But I just planned to stay here on a visit. And now I never left. So I got a call from my mom. The bearer of bad news. She called me. She said, uh, Connie's in the hospital. She's, she's not doing well. She has COVID. Well, I said, you know what? Do me a favor. Keep me updated as much as you can. I'll, you know, maybe I can send her a card or maybe I'll just fly back and stay in Florida again. I'm, you know, I'm not sure, but please call me. I think about two weeks later, my mom told me that Connie passed away. I don't want to say she went into a coma, but she wasn't conscious for the last few days of her life, if I'm not mistaken. I probably got that wrong, I'm not sure. And the following days after that, they, or Mike, cremated Miss Connie. He told my mom farewell, and he left town. He went and he retired, and he moved out in Missouri, near the Ozarks. Got away for a little bit. Last thing I heard about him is that he moved back to Louisiana. Something happened with his children. He has children back in Louisiana. So he moved back out there to be with them. My mom calls me from time to time. She goes, you know, I swear sometimes I hear Miss Connie. Sometimes I could see her on the corner of my eye. My mom really misses her. And as she should, they were friends. And they would, they would text a lot. They would write messages and call each other. And she would text my mom, why don't you come over to the canopy with me and Mike? And the last person that I'd like to talk about is Lori. I don't want to say her last name because, fortunately, I'm afraid this one might get back to me if I did. She was, she lived a, across the, the path from me. I don't want to say street. It wasn't a street. But she lives across from me. She lived in a, in like a trailer. She didn't come out of the house often. But every so often she would take the dog out. She had this little this little tiny little dog. So she would take it out. It would go to the bathroom. And she was living with uh, a boyfriend of hers. His name's Omar. He was a chef. Really cool guy. I'd, I have no idea how he's doing. 
But one day, Lori was letting her dog out. The dog was using the bathroom, and I, I was outside. I was doing something. And I looked over, and I saw her, and I waved hi. She waved hi back, and we started talking about something. I'm not entirely sure, but we started a conversation, and that was it. So every so often, I would end up across the street. I would sit down with her, and she was a gamer. She was a gamer. She, she loved playing video games and being online. And we would talk about all these different video games. And we ended up talking about uh, Skyrim. The Elder Scrolls Skyrim. And she told me how much she was willing to play it. And she really wanted to give it a shot. And so I told her, no, just give it a shot. See how you like it. My last conversation with her. I was getting ready to leave to Japan. And unlike the two previous stories, that was it was planned, it was set, everyone knew I was leaving, so I had I, I you know I got my goodbyes. And so for her, I sat down and we started talking. And I think I sat in her house for an hour, and it was great. And at the end of it all, she told me she goes, "Listen, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to." Uh, I need you to buy me some stuff and bring it back to me. I said, of course, I got you. I gave her a big old hug. Got on the plane and I left. I think I was in Japan for four or five months. And I, I, got, the, I got an email from the harbinger of bad news, my mother. <laughs> She said Lori was in the hospital. Lori suffered from diabetes. So it kicked in and she entered a diabetic coma. She ended up brain dead. Um, her boyfriend at the time, Omar, the chef, he was talking to my mom and he told her that that night Everything went well. Prior to that, their relationship were, was on the rocks. Excuse me. Their relationship was on the rocks. It, they didn't do well. They were getting into arguments. They were going back and forth. And it wasn't looking good. They ended up sleeping on different parts of the house. Or trailer, I'm sorry. But Omar said that night... Or the past few nights, they went well. They were sleeping in the same bed together. They were doing, they were doing great. Omar said she, that night she got up and she went to the bathroom. She told him, I'm going to be her back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he said, yeah, sure, of course. And he said he was laying in bed and he heard this big thud. So he called out to her and she didn't respond. He called out to her again. Nothing. So he stood up and he opened the bathroom door. And there she was, unconscious. He called 911. And 
my mom went outside because she saw the lights. So she went outside and that's when she found out. My mom went and visited her a lot in the hospital. And my mom had one of those movie moments, you know, one of those dramatic moments where the you know, they're talking to the the comatose person and my mom said she held her hand and for a brief moment Lori closed her hand on on my mom. And that was it. I think shortly after that, Lori passed on. And I don't know if this is the creepy thing. I don't know. And I don't know what to make of this. I really don't. Before I got that email, I was I was with somebody. And he asked me about life back home in Florida, so I told him. And I was talking about Lori. And I sat there and we were we were doing something. And in my head, I heard I heard her. I heard her say my name and she said hi. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was just because I was thinking about her that I imagined it. And then a few seconds after that is when I got the email from my mother telling me that Lori had passed. So, when life failed for me, (laughs) and I came back home, there was no Lori. And she was the first one out of the three that I said that. She was the first one to cross over from this life to the next. When she passed away, she was brain dead. She was... She was just being kept alive on a machine. And this is why I can't say her last name. This is what I mean by it might come back to me if I was. If I was to even share anything about her besides her first name. Her father, from a different part of the country, and I don't remember and I don't want to remember. But her father was a religious man, or is a religious man. I think he's a pastor, if I'm not mistaken. Lori was bisexual. Lori was bisexual and she she struggled with it because of her family. Her family was very religious. Her siblings disowned her, her parents disowned her. So when she was when she was kept on the machine, when she was kept on life support, her father came into town just to deal with her. No one else did. Just him. No mother, no siblings, no one came for her. Just him. And he only showed up in person just to tell the hospital to pull the plug on her. And they did. He didn't even take the ashes. He said, I just cremate her and that's it. And left. Never even took her back home. 
never gave her funeral. Never even really said goodbye. I believe in God. I believe in something, that's for sure. And I believe in a lot of things. I'm not entirely religious. It doesn't, I don't wake up every morning praising God and everything. In my heart, I believe he is real or the entity is real. But I'm not entirely religious. But I will say this. I cannot fathom a human being who cherishes a religion, especially when the entity that they believe in talks about love and compassion and glory and treating your fellow man with appreciation. So when you have somebody who devotes their life and the entity that they believe in talks of this and they don't show it because of a disbelief that they have, to me is astounding. And to me it's disgusting. A part of me thinks Lori gave up as sad as that sounds. A part of me thinks that she sat there in that bed in whatever state of limbo she was existing in and had no reason to hold on. And the truth is, and she's told and she told me this. From the horse's mouth she told me this. But my mom and I were the only family that she had. So when my mom went and saw her, and she had that moment where her finger slightly closed on my mother's hand, perhaps that was her goodbye. That was her thank you for everything. And maybe her saying hi to me. I could still hear her Hey, hi. So maybe that, what I heard in my head, maybe maybe it wasn't some thought that I had. Maybe it was actually her. And I just thought it was something else. There's a show called Bones. I, it's a pretty popular show, so I, I, I know a lot of people have heard of it. But there's this really popular show called Bones. and Spoiler alert. If you haven't finished it, but in season seven, one of the, one of the characters, his name is Booth, Seeley Booth, his father dies, his father passes on. And towards the end of the episode, Dr. Brennan, or the Bones, she's talking to Booth about the memories that he had with his father. And she talks about the concept of time. She says that, um, that she went to a seminar. She went to this lecture. And a professor gave his, his view on time from his studies and all that. He had a, like, a lot of these studies and he expressed his view on time. And he said, perhaps time isn't as linear as we think it is. That really, that there is no past and there is no present. That is just all one thing, 
constantly existing. So she tells the character, Celie Booth, that the memories you have with your father, all the good stuff that you remember of him, you going to the baseball game with him, technically within that frame of time, you and him are still there, enjoying that good moment. And I'm trying not to get cheesy with you, but I thought about that. It, it For some weird reason, it, it stuck to me like glue. And I can't help but, but think about Terry, Connie, Mr. Mike, Lori. Even though only one of them is alive out of the four. I miss them. I really do. And I can't help but think that I want to agree with that view of time. Because if that's the case, then me and Terry are still sitting on those lawn chairs, looking up at the stars, thinking about his dog. And he's still sharing that story with me about that octopus and how, he, how excited he was about it. And maybe Mike, my mother, Miss Connie, and myself are all sitting underneath that canopy on a summer night playing backgammon and talking about the country. There we are, still sitting there talking about crawfish. And Lori, maybe we're still sitting there talking about Skyrim and video games and anything else. Those are the ghosts of my past. I have more. But tonight, on a night like this, it's for them. I hope you guys don't mind me getting personal with you. I, I'm sorry. But I just felt the need to talk about it. To share my piece about them, because I never got the chance to. And I don't think I will, other than this. And I know I can go talk to my mom about it, but... My mom knows everything, and it's different when you share it with somebody who has no idea... It's a sense of release. I'll keep them in my heart. And I'll keep them exactly where they are in time. Where I'm just experiencing it with them constantly. On that flow, on that repetitive flow. Seems like we're about to hit the top of the hour. 
And I'm going to end it here for today's episode. It's a little different. Next week, I'm going to go back to the usual content. But for now, I just, I thought I'd, thought I'd soon close the year right, you know. We're getting close to the end of the year, and I thought I should share something about them. Especially on a night like this. It's a very nostalgic feeling. If you have anybody that you care about, that you cherish, please spend some time with them. It's great. It's enjoyable. You can't go wrong with that one. Thank you so much for listening in, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been Conversations at Midnight from west of the Rockies in the great state of Utah. Signing off.